Good evening. Second and third string all day today. Glad to see each one present and hope we have a good lesson tonight. It's good to see you and if you want to open your Bibles to James chapter 1, we will look at a few verses in that chapter for our lesson tonight. James chapter 1. The writer of this book is not specifically known. There are about four men in the New Testament who are referred to as James. There's James, the son of Zebedee, one of the chosen apostles. And there's James, the son of Alphaeus, also one of the twelve apostles. There's also James, the son of Judas, not Iscariot, and James, the Lord's brother. It is the consensus of most biblical scholars that the man who wrote this book was James, the brother of the Lord. Some people, including Martin Luther especially, did not fully accept that this book of James should have been included in the canon of the New Testament. Luther called it a right strawy epistle and not worth very much. Luther was prejudiced against the work system of the Roman Catholic Church and rebelled against anything that suggested work for salvation. He believed in salvation by faith only. And in the book of James, you know right away that we read where uh, salvation is by faith plus works and not by faith only. The only place in the Bible where it states that it's not by faith only. But he would not have uh, James in his Bible among the proper books, uh, just like many denominations today still follow this basic approach to James. But we need to exalt this book to its proper place in God's Word. Look at verse 1. Here we find that this apostle was written to the twelve tribes who were scattered abroad. This would be Jewish Christians who were scattered all over the world because of several oppressions that had come upon them, including one in A.D. 70 when we know Rome destroyed the entire city of Jerusalem and ended the Jewish nation. In Acts chapter 2 we read where there were Jews gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost out of every nation under heaven. So the Jews even before A.D. 70 were scattered abroad all over the world. Then verse 2 we read, My brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Let me read that again. Think about that for a minute. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into trials. Is that possible to do? Can we do that? James begins his instruction with a startling paradox. Although this book is referred to many times as the book of common sense, this seems contrary to common sense to most people. 
but it's not that at all. If we look carefully, we'll see that Jesus said the same thing almost. If you won't look at Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 10, where it states, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Then notice, he says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The man on the street, the average man, does not view trials as joy. In fact, that's the farthest thing from his mind. When oppressions and hardship come his way, he usually gets very upset. And he sometimes refer to that, well, that's the natural thing to do. But what about us? The Christian is seen here as walking along the road to heaven, and then, without warning, he falls into trials. It's like walking in the dark because we never know when it will happen. The Greek word used here for falls is the same word used in Luke chapter 10 where it reads about the man who fell among thieves in in the story of the Good Samaritan parable. He didn't know it was coming. It really means they suddenly came upon this man. And then the meaning of the word trials used here means affliction, that which is a test of character. How will this kind of pressure cause us to react? Sometimes parents lose young children. Sometimes their young children become sick with a disease that can never be cured. And they say, why me, Lord? Why are these things happening to me? Note that these trials are not stated as temptations. Neither is it said that they are sin. But this is a testing. Testing comes from the outside. But sin through temptation comes from within a person. James chapter 1, look at verse 13 beginning. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Trials become the testing ground of the faith of a Christian. Jesus suffered on the cross that he might achieve joy. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, if you want to, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily ensnares us, 
and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, listen, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. There are two ways to look at trials in our lives. One is we can count it all joy. Or number two, we can count it all tragedy, all hurt, and all pain. Also, one might try to fool himself about the tests and trials in life and try to ignore them and hope that somehow they'll just just go away. But that will never happen. When James uses the word count here, when he says count it all joy, he basically means to consider it carefully, place a value on it. It is only after we have given deliberate and careful consideration to the meaning of trials that we are able, based on the facts, to really understand what their value is in our lives. Therefore, when we come to properly understand their value and benefit that they are to us, it's only then that we can count them all joy in our lives. Note that they are to be counted as all joy, not just a little joy, not just partly joy, but completely, without mixing in any sorrow or regret. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8, Whom having not seen you love, Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. In the midst of any and every situation, the Christian should have a joy so great that it's impossible to describe it. These Jewish Christians were having it tough right now. They'd been run out of their homes They'd lost their way of making a living. They were being persecuted, and they were suffering many trials. This happens at times today when one becomes a Christian. Jesus had warned his disciples that they must first count the cost involved in following him. He never promised us a bed of roses. In Matthew 16, verse 24, we read, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. To deny oneself is a very difficult thing to do. Jesus nowhere promises his followers a bed of roses or an easygoing life. He warned, in fact, that we would be hated by the world, be persecuted for righteousness' sake, cast into prison, left without family or friends, kill sometimes for the cause of Christ, and experience great tribulation. 
As I studied this lesson, my mind went back to the time when I was in the Army. I reflected back on the days of basic training, about the five-mile hikes in the middle of the summer up in Virginia hills when it was very hot, running sprints and crawling in the mud on your stomach under a barbed wire while carrying a rifle. I remember that those combat boots got so heavy that I could barely lift and put one in front of the other. I didn't enjoy any of that while it was taking place. It was hard work. It was only after it was over that I realized how much better my physical body had become. And it was not until then that a smile finally came into my face. We as Christians today are soldiers in the Lord's army. We essentially are now in basic training. We are commanded to take up the whole armor of God to put on the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians 6. The Apostle Paul considered his life given to Christ as a battle. Toward the end, he stated that he had fought the good fight as a soldier for the Lord. We don't have to wait until it's all over to be joyful in living the Christian life. James is teaching us that we should enjoy it now, that we should be happy now as we live Christians today and tomorrow. This short epistle which was written to encourage Christians to be faithful, is full of practical lessons in Christian living. It is just as needful today among Christians as it was in the first century. The Christian is simply a pilgrim on a journey in this world. His home is in the new Jerusalem, that is, heaven above, which he will enter into after his trials and toils and struggles in this life are over. John states in Revelation 2.10, a very familiar verse, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. We sing sometime, This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. So why is it that we have trials in our lives anyway? Why do our lives have to be like this? One reason is because of sin and evil in the world. The first man and woman created and put in the Garden of Eden committed sin, and that brought sin and the freedom of the devil to roam around and devour whoever he may into this world. Because of sin and evil in the world, 1 John five nineteen states, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the way of the wicked one. How few people are there in the world today who are really valid Christians? 
A lot of people are part of what is called today the Christian religion. But how many people, what percentage of the people in the world are true Christians? Very, very few. We go through trials today because we live godly lives. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 states, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We also suffer trials because Satan is an active being. He is everywhere working very hard to try to clutch us away from God. First Peter 5, 8, we find these words. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He concentrates on children of God, first of all. Next, we have trials because we can't go to heaven without being tested, without being strong. We suffer trials because of our weaknesses and our immaturities. We are not perfect. God did not make us perfect, but he gave us a way that we can live to be perfect in his sight. We suffer trials because they prove our faith and make us stronger that we might face and overcome even greater trials. How did Moses look at it? Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 24, states, By faith Moses, when he came of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer afflictions with the people of God than to enjoy the, the passing pleasures of sin. Notice that states passing pleasures of sin. Sin is pleasurable. If it weren't, there would be no temptation. But it is not something that is permanent. It will pass. It is uh, something that we should stay away from. Then to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, Moses, esteeming the approach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Moses could have been a great man of great power in Egypt, maybe a rich man, but he chose to be the deliverer of the children of God, for he looked to his reward. He knew that the eternal reward was worth more than anything and everything that he could gain in Egypt. Notice two phrases in these verses. One, it is said that Moses choosing rather to suffer affliction. He wasn't forced to do it. He chose to do it. That was entirely his decision and then next notice the statement. It says, for he looked to the reward. Moses understood the wisdom of the statement, counted all joy, thousands of years before James wrote it, because he looked at the entire situation 
and realized what the end would be. And that was if he served God, then he would certainly be more blessed. We can see that there are apparently a lot of happy people in this world who are going the ways of the devil. They enjoy everything they can up to the limit and forget about God. But those things are all temporary. We are looking for something permanent, something that is worth effort that is put forth by the Christian here on earth to get there. Paul and Silas, after being severely beaten, were in prison one time. But the scripture says they were rejoicing at midnight. Their trials had become an occasion of joy. Paul and Silas in the jail at midnight were rejoicing to be followers of God. Therefore, it's evident we should rejoice that we, as children of God, are counted worthy to suffer shame and undergo trials in His service because great is our reward in heaven after we have passed the test. Again, we read in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We must trust God to help us in the time of trials because the Lord knows how to deliver us out of temptations. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we find, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. Folks, we are very special in the sight of God. Those of us who are Christians are his children. He cares for us. He watches over us. And he does not put any temptation before us that we cannot overcome count it all joy this brings to mind a a familiar verse of scripture we find in hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 therefore we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. In the preceding chapter of Hebrews 11, we have a list of a few of these witnesses that are looking at us today and watching us as we live the Christian life. They were God's servants, including such people as Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah, who through trials and Obedient faith pleased God. They were found faithful. 
These all are witnessing what we do for the Lord today. May it be said of us what was said of them in Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in faith. They, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They were faithful to a promise that they knew a small percentage about that we do today. We have the story written in the New Testament of Christ who did come to the earth. All they knew that was of the promise that the Messiah would come. But we know he did come. We know that he did uh, arise out of the tomb and ascended back to the Father. Also, while studying these verses and thinking about the Olympics, which were contested just a few weeks ago, I thought about those athletes who prepare so diligently for their special event. They strenuously train, sometimes through blood, sweat, and tears, to prepare themselves for that great day. But they don't fret over all the effort that's put forth to get themselves ready because what they see in their mind every day is that award ceremony and see themselves standing on the platform and having the gold medal placed around their neck. This is exactly the way that James is asking us to consider our trials and the reward that comes later. Go ahead and take that awful tasting medicine now because tomorrow you'll feel great. We all have what we call our comfort zone. You have your comfort zone. might be a little different than mine. But James is telling us that God requires that we get out of that sometimes. I don't like to get out of my comfort zone because it is comfortable there. And it gets, it gets kind of edgy when we do get out. My comfort zone includes rest, contentment, no unexpected problems, good health, and peace with everybody. But James assures us that it ain't always going to be that, that way. And when it ain't that way, then we have to take care of it and be strong in the faith. James now become, begins to tell us why trials are valuable and necessary for Christian maturity. The word in knowing in this verse means gaining an understanding through personal experience and observation. The meaning is the opposite of theory or hearsay. We experience it personally. And when you experience something personally, it stays in your mind much longer and it's uh, much harder to forget. For example, a man reads a book on how to play baseball. 
when he's finished reading the book, he has a lot of facts in his head and, and theory on how to play baseball, but he still doesn't really know how to play baseball. One must have some practical experience to be able to accomplish any skill. It takes practice. James is appealing to the practical experience in this case. The word proving gives the picture of one going through the crucible of a furnace to separate the genuine sterling from the dross. When silver is mined, it has impurities mixed in with it. It is melted so that when it becomes liquid, the impurities will float to the top as dross and can be scraped off, leaving nothing but pure silver. James is saying that trials constitute the furnace through which the Christian's faith must pass in order to prove its authenticity. And this process brings about the patience that is staying power of the Christian. We must study and learn the game. We must know how to be Christians. But then James is saying we've got to practice it to really know what we are doing. In Colossians chapter 1 beginning in verse 10, we find this that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. After all others have gone the way of sin and weakness, the obedient Christian still stands, a faithful soldier, steadfast, not yielding to the outside forces or pressures, but turns them into greatness and glory and joy. Therefore, the benefit of the trials in the life of a Christian is additional strength to bear still greater trials and conquer them. And then in verse 4 of James 1, he says, And let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It takes hard work and many days of patience to become a good piano player. Patience doesn't happen overnight. It takes many days of practice of patience and being patient uh, to be the right kind of Christian. Everything that is worthwhile takes hard work. Today, too many people are looking for ten easy ways to spiritual maturity. But there just aren't any shortcuts to that crown of life. It's like when you work a jigsaw puzzle. It's, it's not finished until it's done, until that last piece is put into place. The Christian who attains this perfect patience stands steadfast and is not missing anything means that he is complete. 
He is a child of God. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 we close on. And he states, Paul does, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. May God help us through the trials in our lives. And let's not whimper and become weary thinking that he's always picking on me. We sometimes feel that we have more trials than anybody else in the world. And that might be true. But the more trials we have, remember this, the stronger we become as children of God. It's not easy. It's something we have to work at every day. And the devil's out there trying to get you every minute of every hour. There might be someone here who has not become a Christian, has not believed that Christ is the Son of God, has not been baptized like the Apostle Paul was to wash your sins away, The Apostle Paul was a mean man, yet when he was baptized and became a Christian, all those past sins were washed away, and he became a great person. If you are not a member of the church the Lord died for, you can become a member tonight through faith, believing, repentance, confession, and baptism. Or if you have become a Christian and have had some trials that that tripped you up and made you fall, you can always come back through confession of that sin and repentance when we pray for you and you pray for yourself. If there's anyone subject to the invitation, let you let us let you come forward and we'll help you as we stand and sing.